Hello and a very warm welcome to the series finale of the Gold Podcast, Series 6. I'm your host, Isabel, delighted to be ringing in the end of the season with my co-host, Jade. It's gone by in a flash, hasn't it? Absolutely. We've welcomed a whole host of brilliant guests over the last few months of this season and had some really amazing conversations with them all. Absolutely. I've loved every single interview I've done this season and very excited to be sharing the one today. So hopefully, in your opinion, we're going out with a bang. Uh, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Kanari Patel, who is the President and Chief Operating Officer at Rocket Pharmaceuticals. In the conversation, we touch on the topic of engaging the next generation of scientific leaders with the industry and how this could really propel the sector's progress forward. Sounds really interesting. Let's get into it. So, as I mentioned, today's guest, Kanari, is the president and COO of Rocket Pharma. Here, she oversees a number of teams, including regulatory, clinical operations and quality and development. In terms of her professional background outside of Rocket, she's got 15 years of experience in rare disease R&D, ranging from regulatory science to pharmacovigilance to policy and quality compliance. That's right. And she's gained that experience from positions within multiple leading pharma companies, including AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Novartis, Hoffman-LaRoche and Pfizer. So lots on her belt there. She's led both small molecule and biologic development programs from phase one through to phase four and across multiple therapy areas, which include oncology, respiratory and virology. As well as all this, she's also a passionate member of the HBA Advisory Board, a wonderful organisation and great friend of gold. Do check them out if you aren't aware of what they do and who they are. And in terms of Canari's spare time, she enjoys mentoring, teaching and volunteering, as well as all her wonderful work with the HBA and Pharma. But now you know a bit more about Canari, let's get into her interview to hear her insights on our topic today. So Canari, welcome to the podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on today. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. I think it's wonderful that what you're doing in the European audience spaces and globally. So happy to participate on today's podcast. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about our topic today, which is how the industry can inspire young people to choose a career in pharma. But before we get into the questions, I want to give our conversation a little bit of context. So I came across some ABPI data from 2022 that actually says industry-run education programs are on the rise. So for example, apprenticeships are up by a third since 2019, and this is a trend that was noted across many different levels. So what that tells us is industry is getting better at engaging the younger generation. But something that's changed recently is AI. And as technology explodes and reveals all these amazing possibilities, I think it's really crucial for the industry to not lose sight of the importance of people and recruiting that next generation of innovators that can really make the most out of these technologies and move healthcare that one step forward. But before we get into all of that, I thought maybe, Kanara, you could start by telling us why you personally chose a career in the pharmaceutical industry and how you got your first position. I actually went to school, um, the oldest uh, pharmacy school in the country, um, called the College of Pharmacy and Science. During that university, I ended up starting a dual degree program with bachelor's in genetics and biology research, along with my doctorate of pharmacy. And I remember that around that time frame, the Human Genome Project was released. 
and the excitement of, hey, can you manipulate or change the gene of interest or missing gene and replace it and potentially make it curative sounded great. So initially, when I was about to finish my PharmD program, you know, my debate was really, do I get a PhD in, in genetics and follow the fellowship um, route that way, or should I get a residency in um, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in oncology, because those are my two passion areas of unmet medical need. And the dean of pharmacy school said, you know, you started this dual degree program. It's been quite successful. As a reward, we're going to send you to the FDA to do a rotation for about five to six weeks. And I ended up doing a rotation in the orphan products group. And that during that five to six weeks, my life changed. The industry was no longer the dark side. I realized that there's such a significant value that industry could play in making therapies available to patients that really need it. I met with some parents and families that were at the orphan products group saying, my child needs access to X, Y, and Z therapy. They're available, not approved for this indication. Could you help us get access? And it felt like that became my calling to say, hey, between the genetics passion that I have, the human genome project of future possibilities, and the industry has access to so many drugs that could be applicable for rare diseases and unmet medical need, what can I do there? So I ended up actually switching completely to a point where my dean said, hey, you're going to the dark side, what's wrong? I remember having this conversation feeling like, am I making the right decision when your mentor questions you, right, on your decision? But I did a two-year fellowship program in Pfizer and J&J um, and really learned about drug development. So I focused on regulatory affairs, pharmacovigilance, product safety, and clinical development. And those two years, um, I realized how important a person could play a role in regulatory and drug development to get more therapies to patients quickly as possible. So since then, I went to Roche, Novartis, BMS, Pfizer, <laughs> all of these places. And I ended up joining Rocket because the dream of innovation came true. And the interesting part, because you talked about the next generation of leaders, I did a postdoc fellowship program and I was so grateful because it opened up my eyes to what was feasible. Um, and so every one of these companies, I've either started internship programs for summer students in STEM or a postdoc fellowship programs that either I've precepted or started myself from scratch. And that's been a great way to get the next generation of talent um, to really make a difference, because let's be honest, no matter what we do in our generation, they're not, there are so many diseases out there that I don't know how much difference we can make in our lifetime. Yeah, really interesting. And I was intrigued by your perception, your early perception of pharma as the dark side, because I think that's definitely something that's preached by the mainstream media. And frankly, this is probably what shapes the perception of many young people when it comes to the industry. Frankly, they don't really know much different to that. Do you think that's why some people don't choose a career in pharma or is there more to it than that? I think um, maybe if I had to speculate, it might be one of two things. A, lack of exposure of what you can do in pharmaceuticals that is so good in terms of innovations, access to therapies, um, and being able to actually just do it in an expeditious fashion, right? Um, because you have resources. But the second component could be, honestly, um, in the universities and in even high school, right? You see a lot of great examples of, you know, um, firefighters or different doctors coming and talking to the kids, but you don't see really pharmaceutical individuals going and saying, let me tell you what I do as a lab researcher. Let me tell you what I do to get a drug approved, right? So I feel like infusing all the possibilities for to young generation as early as possible in their development helps them understand what are the different options available and what will they be good at and what do they want to do and not do yeah, I really like the point you made there. I think farmers sometimes 
referred to as being hidden behind an iron curtain. And I think that is simply because the industry is so complex and quite opaque in places. So it's difficult for people to understand. And as you say, there isn't that visibility there. So I think if industry can lift the lid and show what really goes on behind the curtain, you probably would get a lot more interest from those younger people. Absolutely. Now, The next thing I want to talk about is something I also think the industry is doing pretty well at, but there is obviously rooms for improvement, and that is diversity and ensuring that you're not just getting a younger generation in, but that that group of people is really diverse and more diverse than some of the intake we've had in the past. So, Kanari, I'd be really interested to hear your perspective on this, some of the strategies you would recommend or you've seen be successful in this way. Yeah, I think to me, diversity has been the hallmark of my career. Um, I come from a family and um, immigrant parents, and you know, to them, MD, lawyers, they knew what that was about. And that's the background that in our family or businessmen. So getting to corporate America was quite challenging because I didn't know how to network. I didn't, I'm actually still not good at it. I'm horrible at it. <laughs> um, but I didn't know how to make that transition into corporations and, and what to do and what not to do. And when you, it doesn't matter if you get a PharmD, MD, PhD, whatever degrees you get, you don't learn those skill sets, softer skill sets you need in order to enter the industry, right? Um, so I think to me, the few things that have been valuable is one, um, I was exposed a little bit during my pharmacy school to do internships during the summer at companies like GSK and Santa Fe in the Labo back then. So I had a little bit of idea what was going on. And then I think the fellowship program that I did two years, Rutgers Fellowship Program did a great job exposing to me to things that I didn't know beyond the science and the data. And I think those types of programs are becoming more and more important in order to get the talent to be not just well-trained, scientifically and educationally, but really well-versed to be the leaders that need to make decisions in a complex um, environment where agility is really needed. And so at Rocket, what we did is we said, hey, we want everyone to be their best selves. So the Rocket culture is really simple. Even if you're not polished and trained, it's not about what you say, how you say, it's what you do and why you do what you do, right? So it's an elevating trusting environment where we actually promote individuals to come in and just because you're a woman doesn't mean, you know, you're going to get a lot longer time to get better projects, right? We don't have project assignments that happen on golf courses or football games or, you know, poker nights. All of those decisions are made during business hours. These are little things that we do consciously at the company to promote diversity, to promote inclusion, to promote ability for individuals that are the most capable and talented to actually have the best projects that they can work on. The second thing we do, um, having dealt with my own challenges, being um, an Indian female with, you know, five feet tall, trying to make it way, you know, it was um, initially in my career, they said, if you have kids, you're going to be slow played and you're not going to be, you're this amazing high potential. If you want to get ahead, you can't have kids. Otherwise, they're going to slow play you. Later on, it was like, because you don't have kids, the maturity is not seen the same way. So there's no winning. <laughs> I'm shaking my head for everyone that can't see. Uh, yeah, there's no winning. So at Rocket, we think you can actually work and be your best self and have a family. So we've set up the work environment in a way that people can have family, um, take care of their loved ones, their parents, their kids, their, you know, their partners, and at the same time, bring their best selves. So our philosophy at Rocket is not about you have a separate work life and, and separate life life, personal life. 
it's all integrated into who you are and we want you to be that person without feeling bad or without feeling like you need to be a show up differently at work. And I think if you remove those types of noise, as I call them, away from what people can actually just bring to the table, it becomes a lot more meaningful. And what we've seen is our diversity of team members from age, race, gender, um, ethnicity, to the educational backgrounds and experiences, the fact that we celebrate just their ideas and their experiences and their thought process has allowed us to do things that um, even I thought, I'm like, hey, will rockets succeed in a few years, right? And now we have amazing pipeline of six drugs and, and, and even more in the pipeline. So we've achieved beyond our dreams because of our diversity of our talent pool and that we, we promote them to bring their whole self to the table. Again, I think you make a very valid point that it's not just about getting different kinds of people into organizations. It's about creating environments that enables them to succeed fundamentally, which clearly is something you're incredibly passionate about. Which leads me nicely on to my next question, which is if we can bring together a more diverse workforce full of young innovators um, and some of the advances in technology that we're seeing at the moment, what do you think is possible? What's your big vision for the future? It excites me, but it scares me, right? The excitement <laughs> is to me, um, genetic diseases tend to be a majority of the diseases out there. And unfortunately, most of them, 50% of them or more impact the kids. And a person's ability to live their full life, their best life, it's such an exciting proposition, right? Um, so for me, a couple of things that I'm trying to say is what we can do is if we can figure out how to make drug development easy and efficient as possible, where drugs that are not meaningful, let's let's divest them or let's kill them or stop them from development early as possible. But drugs that are meaningful, let's figure out how to work together collaboratively with the academics, with the patients at the center of it all, with the treating physicians and with the health authorities and researchers to do it expeditiously and transparently and collaboratively. Top down, if we can have talent in, in AI, what are the data points that we're gathering across this that can help us see trends and analysis and how to predict better uh, of a drug's ability to do something or disease ability or your genetic mutation to predict what is the chance you're actually gonna get something theoretically versus an actual cancer, right? Being able to predict those types of activities using AI technology could be great. And I think the next generation, what impresses me is they have grown up with TikToks of the world and the technologies of the world. So if they can bring that technology, I think work could be more efficient and more impactful from a data analysis perspective and trend perspective. So to me, um, our generation, we, we can do what we can um, a step at a time, but I think using the talent, technology, and the infrastructure that the next generation is automatically it's embedded, it's almost like embedding their DNA, could make a big difference. Um, one of the simple examples is a few years ago when COVID hit, we had a kids foundation of high school kids that had started uh, a foundation in rare diseases. We partnered with them. And what they did is a 20 to 30 second TikTok videos in various diseases and gave it to their social media. And it actually ended up increasing awareness of rare diseases and importance of genetic testing for the next generation of high school and middle school kids that were talking to their parents and grandparents. And to me, I'm like, it was such a low cost, impactful, creative thing that made such a big difference um, in getting the next generation, not only engaged and using their, their skill sets, but helping us get the message and education out to the broader audience. 
Thank you for sharing that. That's a great example. I think from TikToks to health transformation is perhaps how we could put it. But yeah, that's a really fantastic way um, that the younger generation can come up with new innovative forms of getting the message out and improving health overall. Now, Kanari, we've covered a huge amount today. It's been fantastic to have you on, but I do have one last question for you, and it's a little bit more of a personal reflection. Our listeners will know we've been asking every guest this season this particular double question. Um, And it is, what is the thing that gets you up in the morning? And what is something that can keep you lying awake at night? Um, What gets me up every single day is um, knowing that we can make a difference and impact. It's what my grandma and mom and, and my husband says, right? Every human being has an ability to make a difference if they apply themselves and, and work hard enough and work in an environment that creates people to collaborate and, and, and work together as a team. So what gets me up is this amazing programs that we get to work on, innovative sciences. Um, we have diseases like Danon disease, which is for the first time we've shown gene therapy could work in the heart. And then we have diseases devastating like LED1, where two-thirds of the kids die by the age of two. And we've given gene therapy to nine patients, and all of them are living a normal life. I mean, not just healthy, but going to daycare, infection-free, and and that's being submitted for FDA for approval. So to me, the ability to bring science, innovation, and ability to impact that in a culture that we've created at Rocket, which is just be your whole self and in a family collaborative environment. To me, that is really cool. And that that gets me going every single day and every single challenge and meeting the patients when we do have an opportunity to do so and seeing what we can do one patient at a time is just, there's not words or sentiments that I could put behind that, but it's the most rewarding feeling ever to meet a kid that could have passed away and he's alive living a normal life or she's alive. Um, what keeps me up at night at the same time is the flip side. At Rocket and, and the work I do, I feel such a sense of responsibility. So my brain doesn't shut off at night. And then I'm like, what, did I, what if, could I have done this differently? Could I have done that differently? Because we're humans and we all make mistakes. And retrospectively, you can always think of 10 different ways you could have done something better, more impactfully. So what keeps me up is, are the decisions and the work that I'm doing today is it actually helping the bigger picture or am I focusing on things that are maybe trivial and not as important? So those are the types of things I think that I feel like we can always do more um, in cell and gene therapy. Unfortunately, the biotech industry, it's been really tough last few years uh, with the markets being as, as down as they are. And so many great drugs that were developed by wonderful companies no longer do the companies exist or the drugs are moving forward. And especially when drugs have shown benefit in patients already, those drugs actually go to commercialization and get access um, and give access to the patients that really need it. Um, It's just devastating. So I feel like there's so much more we can do um, across the board beyond just what Rocket's doing. Like, how can we share the information we're doing to be successful to date, knock on wood? And how do we help others succeed so more therapies can get to patients that need it? So our sense is focused on that unmet medical need, urgency, and the speed, and and just getting everybody focused on it. A really interesting note to end on. I think while the future is looking incredibly bright, you're completely right to acknowledge some of the existing challenges, but I think it is really fantastic to see what companies like yourselves at Rocket and others are doing to push forward these therapies for patients. Kanari, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been a pleasure.
Thank you so much. It's great talking to you as well. It's really clear to see that Canari is an incredibly passionate leader and a really inspiring role model for those looking to join industry. Did you have a key takeaway from your conversation, Isabel? Yes, completely agree with everything you just said there. I really enjoyed talking to Canari. I think her passion for creating opportunities for young people and breaking down barriers to progression was really palpable throughout. And I think there was loads to take away. A key thing I would pull out was if you want to see change, do it yourself. She spoke to in the interview about how most of the companies she's worked at, she set up schemes to help young people get into the industry. And I thought that was a really fantastic thing to hear. In addition to that, I think the point she raised right at the end there was great. The future obviously is so bright as we were discussing, but there are many hurdles in the way. It's been a particularly tough couple of years for biotechs. But as she said, if more companies can collaborate and share data, a better future for patients with complex conditions could be a lot closer than we think. Absolutely agreed. That was really wonderfully summarised. However, that does sadly bring us to the end of today's episode and the end of season six. Mm. Thank you so much for listening to us over these past months. I really hope you've enjoyed sitting in on our conversations. Absolutely. And a big thank you to Canari, of course, for joining us in this season finale episode. We'll be taking a break over the winter period and we'll be back in the new year so do be on the lookout for us in 2024 but until then have a lovely festive season and it's bye from us bye